Well, good morning. Good morning. Hey, welcome to Bridgewater. Uh, we just want to say uh, an additional thank you to the men and women uh, who have lost loved ones to the service. Uh, we don't take that freedom that we have this morning to meet lightly. Uh, we know that it was bought with a um, high price. And so we just want to say thank you if you know somebody who served and is no longer with us. Uh, we understand and acknowledge that hurt, but honor it uh, and say thank you uh, to those families who gave so we could be free. So thank you. Hey, we are in uh, week two of Crazy Faith. And if you missed last week, I'm sorry. Uh, you missed a good one because I can't pay those guys to come sit in that chair again. So uh, if you missed it, you don't know what I'm talking about. It's your loss. I'm sorry. Um, but we kicked off this series that I think is going to be a great series for us as we begin to try to unpack and tackle what it means to follow Jesus, not just in the safe shallows of life, not just in the rituals of religion, but in the pursuit of this God who has the whole universe sitting in his hands, who calls us to be co-heirs and co-creators with him and what that means for us, what that means for this life. And so last week we said uh, that we want you to begin to think that there are some things that God would call you to that are unreasonable, that are over the top, that are crazy, that are so far beyond that when people look at you, they go, I think you're a little nuts because why would you believe that? And we define crazy faith as this. Thoughts and actions that may seem unreasonable, but trusting fully in what you cannot explicitly prove. And what we said last week is I may not have all of the facts but I know that I serve a God who does, and I'm willing to step into some places in this life where it seems unreasonable to step out, and I can't prove that God's going to do it, but I believe fully that he will. And maybe you heard all that last week and said, woohoo, I'm going, I believe God, full faith, that glory, glory to God, praise God. Maybe the rest of you went, I think he's just crazy. Like, I don't think, <laughs> I think he's just crazy. And you know what? Um, that's probably true. But maybe you said, I want to, but that seems so far out. It seems like such a stretch to be able to believe God for those things, and that's okay. See, because crazy faith isn't where you start. Crazy faith is a result of exercising a type of faith over and over and over and over again that will eventually result itself in the type of crazy faith. But you don't just start there, right? You got to back it up and say, okay, where is the, the baseline, the starting point of following God? And we're going to call it baby faith today. That way back before you can get to crazy faith, you have to start at baby faith. And you're probably already insulted that I'm calling this baby faith because you go, but that's not cool. That's not flashy. That's not the big over the top. And you're right, it's not. But if you don't start here, as we're going to discover in our text today, if you don't start here, you're never going to get anywhere else. And so this is ground zero for us in our faith journey because I don't want you to think about being a great person of faith and never know how to get there. So over the rest of the series, we're going to help us all get there that one day people may look at you and go, you must hang out with those people that are crazy because you're talking crazy about what you believe. That's where we're headed, all right? But uh, we're going to be in the book of Matthew throughout the entire day. And um, so go ahead and turn there to Matthew. We won't put it on the screen yet. What's happening in Matthew and the stories we're going to look at, excuse me, is basically Jesus is confronting the reality of his disciples with this fact that he is larger than this world. So there's things that humanly could never be accomplished. So Jesus is coming to show them I'm both man and God. And what that means is I control this. And so he's raising people from the dead. He's, he's making food for 5,000 people out of Lunchables. He's casting out demons. He's doing all of these things. And people are looking at him going, 
who are you and how do we get near you? So his disciples are beginning to want some of this faith that Jesus is exhibiting. And so they're walking along Jesus, doing ministry with Jesus. They're captivated by the type of faith that Jesus is exhibiting and they want in. Well, what happens is they're confronted with the fact that they're not at crazy faith yet and they're actually someplace else in faith. And so that's what we're going to talk about today is where Jesus brought his disciples to understand how important baby faith is. Let's turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 17, verse 14, is where we're going to pick up the story. When they came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him. Lord, have mercy on my son, he said. He has seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. So, so Jesus has been out healing and this man hears about this guy who's got crazy faith, and he wants to get his son near him to heal him. Uh, but the best he could do was get to the disciples. And so he comes to the disciples and says, heal uh, the boy, and they can't. Now, here's the thing you need to understand about the disciples. They've been watching Jesus. They know Jesus can do this. They understand, like we said last week, there's an intellectual agreement. They know it to be true that this is possible, yet they could not heal him. There was something that was getting in the way of them being able to move from an understanding of the miracle to an actual happening of the miracle. And Jesus begins to explain to them in a bit of a per perturbed mood why this is true. He says, you unbelieving and perverse, perverse generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. Jesus needed breakfast. I think that's what's happening here. He just sounds a little, little cranky, but he, he's getting to something. Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of the boy, and he was healed at that moment. Then the disciples came to him in private and asked, why couldn't we drive it out? And he replied, because you have so little faith. So the, the father brings him to the disciples. The disciples can't make it happen, and he does what you and I do at the store, at the, the restaurant, when you're not getting the service you want. You go, can I speak to your manager, please? Right. So they move to Jesus, and Jesus just heals the boy like that. They're shocked, and in fact, they're annoyed because they went to Jesus saying, we, why aren't we seeing this happening? Now, that's more than even some of us will ask because they at least knew it to be true that God could do it. They just couldn't figure out why it wasn't happening. So they go to Jesus. Jesus pulls them into the office and says, it's because you have no faith. <laughs> it's because you had such little faith, right? You knew it to be true, but there was a far gap from here to here to here. And I, I read this and go, okay, but what does little faith mean? Because these guys left everything. They left their livelihood. They left everything behind to follow Jesus. So like little in compared to what, Jesus? <laughs> compared to the guy next to me? I feel like I got more faith than him. Compared to the, no, <laughs> not more than him, little faith. And he goes on to explain what this little faith is in the rest of verse 20. It says, truly I tell you, if you have faith, as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. So imagine this scene. Jesus is standing there talking with his disciples, and I'm sure it's probably went something along the lines of he looked around and said, mountain, <laughs> the biggest thing. If you had the smallest faith, the biggest thing around you could be moved and thrown away. Jesus uses object lesson of the world around him and says, if you had even the tiniest bit of faith, you could speak to the biggest things in your life and they would have to be thrown into the sea. Now, I don't know if you've spent much time in the garden lately harvesting or planting um, mustard seeds, but I have some up here for you. Those are two. Okay. Here's a mustard seed. 
Most of you think I'm not holding anything in between my fingers. And Jesus' example is almost insulting. Because he said, if your faith was even this small, where nobody else could see it but God, you could move the mountains in your life. If you even believed me this much, disciples, the largest thing in your life would be thrown into the sea. And I look at this and go, huh, that hurts. Because I've come up against the mountains, and I've begun to to realize that we've gotten this backwards. See, I think at times we think we have to have mountain-sized faith to move seed-sized problems. That we have to have this gigantic, over-the-top faith to see God do this little thing. And the Word of God here tells us that you need this little faith to move the biggest obstacle in your life. So that addiction you've been staring down, that heartache, that broken relationship, that financial crisis, God says this is all you need to believe me to have everything in this life that I have purpose for. You see, seed-sized faith is all you need for God to do all that he purposed to do in your life. What you need is not as much as you think you need for God to do all that he said he would do. What you need in your life is not as much as you think you need for God to do all that he said he would do. And here's what I mean. You know that God has called you to things. You feel that God has called you to things. Maybe the thing you feel he's calling to is to believe him for the first time. But maybe you feel God is calling you to believe him for the business or to believe him that he's called you to go share the gospel with somebody or to believe him for whatever it is. And what happens is you hear God call you to that and you begin to list all of the things that you are lacking to that, for that not to happen. Oh, I'm just not that eloquent. I'm just not that smart. I'm just not that good. Right? We're just like Moses. When God called Moses, he said, Moses, I want you to go lead the people of Israel. And what did he do? I don't have enough skills. I don't have enough resources. I don't have enough help. I don't have as much as I think I need. And God's over here saying, yeah, yeah, If this was about you, that would be true. But this isn't about you. <laughs> See, faith, as we said, isn't about us looking good. It's not about me. It's about God doing what he said he would do in our life. Not us being accomplished for it, because this doesn't look real flashy, does it? (laughs) And in fact, most people wouldn't even know it was true. All that would be known about this is that God did it. (laughs) Do you see how faith works? That the tiniest of thing is not meant to reflect glory on us, but glory on God. We're going to define baby faith for this series as this. It's the ability to trust God at his word. The ability to trust God at his word. That if you and I could simply daily walk in baby faith, that I read the promises of God, and you know what? Maybe I'm crazy enough to believe this thing is true. Maybe I'm crazy enough to believe the promises that God will meet all means. Maybe I'm crazy enough, or maybe it means I'm just a baby, in which I'm humble enough in moments of my life to go, you know what? I'm going to take him at his word. Whatever mountain I come up against, whatever trial, whatever difficulty, it's in his word, and I'm going to hold him to it. See, the disciples didn't quite understand this whole uh, childlike thing, and in fact, they, they shirked against it quite a bit because they wanted the flashy faith, and Jesus needed to bring them back to the place where they were willing to work through some baby faith because your faith is a muscle. 
Maybe you don't know that your faith is a muscle, but your faith is a muscle. And what happens is last week you hear these big crazy stories and you want to believe God for the big thing and God's saying over here, you're not ready for that one. We got some work to do. This would be like me going to the gym and putting 350 pounds back on the bench press, hopping underneath there. What's going to happen? My elbows are going to snap and I'm probably going to lose my rib cage. Why? Because I'm not conditioned to lift that weight. Now, at one point in my life I could, I was conditioned for it. Now I think my wife's think I'm getting conditioned for a dad bod competition. Irregardless, at one point, my muscles were conditioned to lift that, and so it is true of faith. If you want to believe God for the big things, you've got to daily condition yourself to believe him at his word. You've got to get down and you've got to put down the 350 pounds in that big circumstance, and you've got to start doing some push-ups in your faith. You've got to start believing God for the, the simple things in life, like when the last time you were sick, did you pray about it first or did you go to the, the medicine cabinet? The last time you were short financially, did you stress about it and run through the numbers of your budget or did you pray about it? I'm not trying to dog on you. I'm trying to let you see that the first move is a move to trust God at his word. And I need to go pray to my father because my father understands this. But we have this um, repulsion against becoming dependent on God, which is exactly where Jesus is going to take his disciples in Matthew 18. So flip over to the next page with me if you have your Bibles open. Matthew 18, Jesus says this, at the time the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? So here's the question that they're asking. Who gets to be considered important? Who gets the flashy sign that says, this guy's awesome? Who gets to be the one that everybody says, oh yeah, that's a real genuine believer. We want to follow him. Listen to how Jesus answers. He called the little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes, such one, welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. What did Jesus just say? He said, it's not even about greatness. If you're not willing to become like a child, you're not even getting in. What does he mean? Unless you're willing to change. Or another way to say that is unless you're willing to repent. Unless you're willing to admit that you're not God. That you don't have all the answers. That you can't be the master of your own life. Unless you're willing to come like this. I'm sure this scene looked like where you would come like a child and sit with Jesus. You're not even getting in. And so while we shun this childlike faith, Jesus says that's the gateway to life. Humility. In which I come before God and say, you know what? I don't have what it takes. I need some faith here because there's something bigger than me. See, baby faith starts with dependency. It starts with dependency. Just like a baby is dependent upon a parent. So we, if we want to begin to grow in the faith and the calling that God has for us, have to start with acknowledging that I don't have what it takes. I don't have what it takes to save myself. I don't have what it takes to provide all of the needs. I don't have what it takes to do this life well. The demands are too great. And the beautiful part about it is when we pause and go, that's true, God says, I know I've been waiting for you to acknowledge that. The problem is this is America's number one vice to following Jesus because we have been taught independence and freedom is the mature thing to do. And while that may be true of a nation, it is not true of your spiritual journey. 
It is not true of your spiritual journey. And in fact, the more independent you are from God, the more dangerous, you are, more dangerous path you are headed down. Like it's, it's like my son Jocko. Love that kid. He's a tough dude. But he's not ready to be independent from me. Like he's tough, but he's not living out with the bears and the wolves and the coyotes tough. He doesn't know that yet though. Or does he? He knows where safety is. He knows where security is. But what happens is we start to grow up or mature. And what we think that means is that we should have been standing on our own two feet by now. We shouldn't need God as much now as we did then. And while I'd be worried if Jocko at 18 needed me that much, that's not true in your spiritual walk. What's actually true in your spiritual walk is the more mature you get, the, realize, the more you realize how dependent you are on him. The farther you walk down this journey with the Lord, the more you realize you need God to show up for you. And the beautiful thing is, he does. The problem is, some of us and many of us have begun to associate the things of this world, and particularly parents or failed parents, and we pin it on God. And so you grow up in a home, and maybe you had a great dad, and maybe this doesn't really work for you, or maybe you had a great parent, and this doesn't work for you. But, but I would say, by and large, there is somebody in your life who was supposed to show up uh, who failed you, and we begin to break down trust. We begin to think that it's not safe to be dependent on other people. So maybe you grew up in a home where dad said he was coming, and he was going to come to practice, and then dad didn't show up to practice. Something else came up, and you thought dad was coming home to dinner, and... Dad didn't make it on time. And all of a sudden you begin to think, maybe there's something else more important out there than me. And, and maybe God, or maybe my dad doesn't seem to care. And then dad shows up on graduation day and, oh, that's my baby. I'm so proud of him. I did so good. He takes after dad. And you're sitting there going, what? You take no credit for this. And then you meet God. And you, you've lived the life that you've lived. And God says, yeah, I was with you all through there. And you're going, but Where? God says, I've been with you through this whole process. But what happens is you take all of those failed memories, all of those hurts, all of those mistrusts, and you stick them on God. And so when God says he's going to show up, you're remembering all the times somebody else in your life told you they were going to show up and they didn't. When God said he's going to care for you, you're going to remember that time that you went to go get compassion and said you got a stern hand. We, we associate that in if. <laughs> if we could ever take God off the standards of humans. If we could ever free God up from being anything like us and allow him to redefine who he is for us, maybe dependency wouldn't be such a scary thing. And in fact, Jesus knew that you and I were going to have a trouble understanding what it means to trust the Father, and, and he knew the disciples were, and so he actually has this conversation with him about this in Matthew chapter 7. He says this, Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake. And here's what's the reality of this passage for some of us. While this may not be true for all of us, there are some of us who, where this was our experience, where you should have gotten safety and provision from those who loved and cared for you. That's not what you got. You got insecurity. You got abandonment. You got anger. Where you should have received what was good, that's not what you received. And Jesus says this, If you then, though you are evil, though you're broken, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Do you hear what he said there? If you could begin to not associate the failings of the people around you with me, and you could understand that God the Father is good, and he cares, and he knows, and you may not be able to trust anybody else in this life, but you can trust him. 
because his character is good and his character is true, would you then begin to trust him at his word? Would you then begin to, when financial crisis hit, not have to worry or not have to wonder because you know God is there? See, it starts with dependency, but it grows by trust. Baby faith grows by trusting. Because you can go through this life and know all these things intellectually, which is what we talked about last week. And our prayer is that it moves into your heart. And some of us believe it here, but there's one more step. There's a step where that faith comes into our hands. And we start to live our life differently based upon the character of God. Well, you can't trust somebody that you don't know. Right? You're not going to have faith in somebody you don't trust. Well, if you don't know God, you're not going to trust God. If you don't spend time getting to know him, of course you're not going to trust him. I've seen it to be true in my life that if I'm not in his word and I'm not reminding myself of the promises and the character of God, I begin to worry a lot more. I begin to not take God at his word. I begin to wonder where he is. Because why? Because I haven't come back to this place of saying, now here's where God has been faithful. And I can look back at my life and know that not only can I see it true in the word, I can see it true in, in my life. That not only do I know I can trust God, God has proved that I can trust him. I can look back at the circumstances of my life and maybe my past looks like I couldn't, but now God has given me eyes to see that he never left me with any need on that. That he kept my mind steady in the middle of family crisis that I've watched him work miracles in my own life, that I've watched him lead people to the Lord that I never thought would ever bow at the feet of Jesus, that I've watched him save souls. And yet I wonder at times where he is. What, what about your life? As you look back at the track record of God in your life, is it one that you can trust? And while we don't always see it in hindsight in the moment, I've watched God time after time begin to reveal what he was doing, what levers he was pulling, and I go, oh, I see what you did there. I see how faithful you were to me there. See, Jesus, talking with his disciples, says this, and, and I, I want to believe these words to be true, and, and maybe you're like me and you struggle with this, honestly. You have a hard time believing these words. Go ahead and turn with me to Matthew chapter 21. Jesus replied, we're going to park here for a few minutes. Jesus replied, truly I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, what does that mean? What does it mean to have faith without doubt? I'm so glad you asked. Come back next week. We'll answer that question for you. He says, not only can you do what was done to this fig tree. So Jesus was just walking by this fig tree earlier in the story for context, um, and it wasn't bearing fruit, and so he cursed it, and it withered and died, and the disciples were terrified because Jesus had the power to just kill something. And, and so he says, um, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but also you can say to this mountain. Now, second time in a row that Jesus has used this example. So go throw yourself into the sea, and it will be done. Verse 22, if you believe, you will receive whatever you ask in prayer. I read this passage and I hear Jesus for the second time saying, if you would just believe me at my word, the largest thing in your life could be picked up and thrown into the sea. And maybe you just need to start getting a little bit more angry in your prayer life. Because I hear this and go, get up out of here and go. That, that's how I read this. Now, I'm going to tell you, that's probably not how I've prayed recently. God, maybe, 
if you would, so kindly consider, get up out of here and go. I believe in a God who has already defeated the sin, who has already defeated this addiction, who has already defeated this infirmity. Be gone. Go into the sea on the power of Jesus. And you know what kind of faith it takes to do that? Baby faith. Not crazy faith. Baby faith. But I would bet there's some of us in here looking at this last passage in your head listing all the reasons why this isn't true. All the unanswered prayers. All the things you asked God for that didn't happen. All of the things that you believe were going to happen. And what happens is disappointment after disappointment begins to get you to stop praying. See, but the thing about prayer to a heavenly father is that sometimes the best answer is no. Sometimes the best answer is no. And if I don't have faith in the character of who God is, that no is going to feel like rejection, not love. God choosing not to heal, God choosing not to rescue, may be God's perfect answer. And in fact, it probably is. But if I don't trust his character, it's going to be a lot harder to swallow. See, it starts with dependency, that I don't have what it takes. It grows by trusting the character of God, that it is irrefutable and trustworthy, and it happens by asking. Faith happens simply by asking. So, so maybe you're handling a, a broken family situation. I'll tell you what, from my experience, you don't have what it takes to fix the family. So I have to stop and go, all right, God, only you can do this. And then understanding that only he can do it, I'm going to come down to his character where he said that he desires that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance, that his desire is for families to be restored. restored. And I'm going to believe that to be true. I'm going to trust his character, and then I'm going to ask for him to do it. God, they haven't been together in 10 years. Half of them aren't even talking to each other. Would you throw that mountain into the sea? Maybe you're dealing with an addiction or a, a sin that has entangled you. You know what? You've tried and tried and tried and tried and tried. You can't do it without him. And God's saying, unless you change, unless you humble yourself and say, God, I don't have what it takes, then you believe his word that he came to set the captives free, that he took your sin and defeated it. And you say, God, throw this mountain into the sea. I'm done with it. Take it. Let it be gone. What is it for you this morning? Where in your life have you thought independence was best? What are the things that you're continually fighting against? And what I would bet for some of us to be true this morning is that God has allowed you to continually hit a brick wall. Maybe things just aren't going the way you thought they were going. It's not really working out. And maybe that's because God's calling you back to a place of dependence on him. Because you've been striving and striving in your own strength. And God's trying to protect you from falling off the cliff of pride to say, no, 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 come back here. I've overwhelmed you so you return to me. I've put something insurmountable in front of you that you'd come back to me because I'm trying to rescue you from you. What is it for you? What, what character of God are you wrestling with right now? Where are you struggling to trust him? Where are the doubts you have in your mind? What are the worries you find yourself ruminating over? Well, it's an indicator that there's part of his character that we've been not believing to be true. Or maybe your prayer life just needs to get really angry and really bold. Not angry at God, but not passive either. God, I believe 
in full faith. No, 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 no. God, I believe in baby faith. Get out of here, mountain. Be gone. And only God sees it. This is not just a sermon we're preaching. This is something that as Bridgewater leadership, God has decided to walk us back through. Um, Most of you know Pastor Barry Kilmer left last year, lead pastor, left a hole in our Conklin campus. Ethan Morrison, our Vestal campus pastor, um, due to some things, uh, removed himself from ministry. A few weeks ago, our Tonkanic campus pastor came to us and said, God has moved me on. Um, He has taken a church in Indiana, and we go... It's a great move. It's a, it's a glory to God move. We think this is the absolute next step for him. God is ordained in the middle of it. Well, Josh, Brett, and I as executive leaders are standing there looking at each other going, what? <laughs> Three campus pastors down? How many times can I preach in a Sunday, right? And God said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Come here. This mountain in front of you, I've already defeated it. I am who you need in this season. And then God, out of his kindness, just began to lead us to pray. All right, God, we know that you're good. We know this has nothing to do with us. Would you still do all of the work that you said you would do? We don't know, we don't know why you've put us in this season of looking around and going, okay, but we trust you. And then God did this. And I don't know if you heard it this morning, but three of these carnations are from a campus without a pastor. Three of these people whose souls were changed had nothing to do with a pastor. And we say, glory to God. Because he's met baby faith with mountain-moving power. All right, God. I think you're a little crazy. But forgive us for ever thinking it was anything about us. Forgive us for thinking that we needed anything more than this for you to do all that you said you would do. God, we believe it. Would you move the mountain into the sea? Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for choosing to love us. God, we thank you that there's so many different places in which we come from today, and yet you know them all. God, you know the wounds that some carry this morning that have tainted their view of you, and you have been so patient to wrestle with them and work through the fact that they don't know you well. Maybe have put some things on you that aren't true. God, I pray that you would forgive us for our pride in which we think we know better. God, I thank you that you meet baby faith, that you meet us in our doubts and you want to reorientate what we understand to be true about you. If you're here today and you've never uh, accepted the gift of salvation in which Jesus came and took care of the fact that you couldn't do it on your own, and he paid for your sins, and he paid for your shortcomings, that you might have life and life eternal. He stands before you today, and his word says, come to me, all you are weary and a heavy burden, and I will give you rest. That we come like children and accept his salvation. If you want to know more about that, come find me, come find Luke, anybody wearing a name tag. Maybe you're here today, and, and you've been wrestling against the Lord, and You know he's calling you back to dependency and you've been trying to fight it. I want to pray over you this morning. God, I pray for humility in our hearts. The areas in our life that we've tried to be apart from you, God, that you would gently call us back. God, I pray that you would set straight the truth in our mind about you. Lord, I pray that we would allow you to define for us through your word who you are, God, and that we would begin to grow in baby faith.
that we would simply trust our Father for what he said to be true. We love you, Lord, and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.